Welcome to The Strategic Investor. Join us as we interview some of the world's most productive asset managers and uncover sophisticated and unique investment strategies in the markets. Here is your host, Charlie Wright. Hello and welcome to Strategic Investor Radio on OC Talk Radio, where we bring you investment strategies you are not hearing elsewhere. We'd like to welcome today for the very first time, Greg Obenshain, partner and director of credit investing at Verdad Capital, a global asset management firm that focuses on small cap value companies. He speaks to us from New York City. Greg, welcome to Strategic Investor Radio. Thank you for having me. So, Greg, uh, you went to undergraduate at Dartmouth. Uh, you have an MBA from the Northwestern uh, Kellogg School. And for years, you've been involved in as a credit portfolio manager. And you guys do a ton of research. And it's some of that research we're going to talk about today. And your focus, again, is the credit market. So let's start with a brief background of yours here, Greg. Uh, sure. Um, you know, after go going to Kellogg, I um, found my way to finance um, and spent 15 years um, as both a credit analyst and a portfolio manager, uh, primarily focused on um, bonds, um, uh, high-yield bonds. Uh, and after doing that for a long time, thought there was probably a more interesting way to invest in bonds. And so developed a quantitative approach um, to investing in high-yield credit, which we can talk about, uh, and found my way to Verdad uh, about last year, where we, um, where I joined the team at Verdad, who has a very similar approach uh, to the world that I do. Okay. And so, so tell us a little more about Verdad. Sure. Verdad um, is a firm that was born out of a lot of research on what worked in private equity. Uh, Dan Rasmussen uh, used to work at Bain and was part of a large study that went back and looked at what had actually worked uh, to make private equity returns so high. Um, and the, the short answer is that buying small companies cheaply and using leverage produces really good returns. Um, and that, and by that, you know, buying companies at somewhere between five and seven times EBITDA, putting a reasonable amount of leverage on them, and then uh, doing that in a portfolio is, is a very good strategy. Uh, it's a no longer a strategy that's available, though, to the private equity market because of all the competition and all the money flowing into that space. Uh, but it is something that's available in the public markets. You can buy small cap equity uh, that's a little bit levered, that has some, some debt on the balance sheet. Um, you can buy those public equities, uh, and they trade with much higher, with much higher free cash flow yields. Uh, and recreate uh, what effectively is a private equity strategy in the public markets with the same kind of mark, um, company profile. So that was the, the birth of the, um, of the firm, and, and uh, the core strategy uh, is small-cap levered uh, value. Okay, and, and what is your role in that? Because you are a, a credit manager. Right. So uh, they one of the attributes of, of that strategy is that you need to understand credit pretty well. Uh, and uh, Dan and Dan had been interested in potentially starting a credit strategy, but um, most people you talk to about credit are, are deep fundamental analysts. Um, I was an odd duck, and we actually met accidentally, um, in that I very much took the same approach that they did um, to screening their potential investments quantitatively, and I did the same thing uh, qu uh, quantitatively in credit. Uh, so we both used a lot of the same approaches to 
uh, to invest in very different asset classes, but asset classes that are very much related. Um, and so that was uh, the birth of an early conversation. Is that really what it was? And then over time, as I developed my strategy, I called Dan and said, "Why don't we start a fund together?" Um, and uh, so joined Verdad to to start uh, working on credit for Verdad. Okay, so so uh, Greg, let's start at the uh, ten thousand foot level here, and tell us what misperceptions do you see by investors and advisors in the credit market space? What what, what do sure. most of us not understand? Yeah, sure, and and it's something that I think people intuitively understand, but it's hard to see, which is. Uh, we, all, we very often hear the platitude, you know, don't reach for yield. Um, but right. I think when the, ch- the challenge is that uh, it's not really that you shouldn't reach for yield, it's how much yield should you really reach for. <laughs> mm-hmm. And what we've done a lot of work on is trying to educate customers about where that dividing line is um, and to think about um, how to correctly, how, how to avoid the super yieldy situations that very often don't have high returns. Um, and to go for things that are actually a little bit safer with lower yields that will deliver higher returns. And the concept here is what we call fool's yield, which is beyond a certain point. Um, uh, it doesn't make sense to um, buy the highest yielding security because that high yield is telling you that you're probably not going to realize your return. And we do, and uh, we apply all sorts of tools within high yield to identify where we think that is historically and to stay above that line. So do you focus at all on the, uh, on, on the industries that are given tax incentives to pay higher yield? Uh, you know, business development companies and REITs. Uh, and then there, there's also like closed-end funds, uh, which don't have that tax incentive, but, but they pay higher yields. Or do you focus more just on small-cap stocks and, and you leave those other companies basically alone? Yeah, so where we actually focus is, um, unlike my partners at, at Verdad who focus on, on small-cap stocks, and that's really the bread and butter of, of the firm, I actually focus on somewhat larger firms um, within high-yield um, who issue a lot of, of, lot of debt. Um, for example, names that you might know include Charter Communications, the cable company. Uh, Netflix actually has a lot of debt, but is very large. Um, other smaller, you know, hot, the hospital company HCA, um, lar- larger companies that like that that actually have that issue debt. Now, the interesting thing is that business development companies focus on much smaller companies and really fill a capital need um, that maybe not be filled by the banks, and that's that's their true purpose. But what's mm-hmm. really happened over time is that those have increasingly really been lending to private equity firms which have been going out and putting a lot of debt on the balance sheet um, and taking a lot of risk. And it's not someplace, we think that's fully on the other side of fool's yield, that the yields on many of those BDCs look exceptionally high, um, but are unlikely to be realized and have not been realized historically. Okay, so so, so those are non-public loans, so it's kind of part of the the shadow banking industry. So if, if things go bad and they need to rewrite the loan, you know, the public doesn't know about it. Is that correct? Well, they might, they might be written up in their, in their results, but no, it's not, those are not publicly issued security. So no, it's very, it's very hard to know exactly what's going on. Um, and so what we've seen in the credit markets over the last five years is an increasingly 
increasing leverage levels, increasing amounts of debt being put on company and as people reach for yield. Um, and, and the worst of that, in our mind, has really been driven by private equity firms putting more and more leverage on the firms they buy in order to try to make their returns. And how about the, the position, Greg, that, uh, that the institutions who have all this money are so hungry for yield because, let's face it, they have to, they've got a mandate to make about 7% per year. And so if they're in the credit markets at 25 30% of their portfolio and they're getting, you know, they're, they're in short term at 2% or something, that, that just puts tremendous stress on, on uh, you know, the other 70% of the portfolio. So I, I've read where they have, you know, gone after this fool's yield because they are so hungry for yield. Is that part of the equation here? Absolutely. And so private markets have really been driven by the pension funds and, and the allocators who are trying to go out and, and, and meet these return targets. Um, and the evidence is very, very clear that there's sometimes there's a decision to make whether you go out and try to meet an unrealistic return or you accept the return that the market is um, giving to you and, and make hard decisions elsewhere. Uh, and very often, it looks like the choice has been to go out and try to chase the returns um, in, in the private markets uh, where historical returns have actually been, been high. Let me, let me tell you that before they were as popular, um, the returns were, were actually very good. Um, but as those markets get more and more popular, more people crowd in them chasing their historical returns, it's very unlikely that they will deliver the future returns like they did in the past. So um, in this effort to, to meet these return hurdles, um, it looks to us like people have gone into and uh, taken levels of risk that um, we're surprised by. Um, buying Private equity buys smaller companies and puts a if I, to, if I were to tell you at the end of a credit cycle, at the end of a, of a long cycle, that the best strategy was to go in and put five to seven times leverage on a small company um, and hope for the best, you might look at me like I was crazy. But that is effectively what the private equity strategy is. Um, and, the, and the private lending strategy is the same, to put a lot of leverage on companies at levels that have historically revealed to been very high default rates and hope for the best. Yeah, but Greg, that that can't make you very popular in presentations that you're making to these institutions, right? Well, I think what we try to do through our research is lay out the case very clearly to provide data. Uh, and um, no, I think everybody understands the struggle. Um, and it's never black or white. Uh, you know, the decision whether they chase yield or they just accept the return they they can get, it's, it's never black or white. They're usually doing a combination of both. And so we try to be, you know, the reason we write our, our weekly research piece and we, and we communicate so much is to try to be helpful uh, and to try to explain what's going on, but, to, but not to shy away from saying things that are controversial. So, yes, it's controversial that we're saying that private equity is probably not a great investment here, that private credit is probably not a great investment here. Um, but I don't think it's uh, – but, it's, but, you know, hopefully it's done – with a lot of data and, and with a lot of research. You know, it, Greg, it's one thing to say this is not a prudent approach uh, to investing. Okay. It's another thing to say, which I continue to read, that to all this corporate debt, uh, the number one, companies are now being loaned money that wouldn't have qualified for that in the past. Number two, a tremendous amount of corporate debt is coming due. And so, number three, we are creating a monster here that could fairly soon start to eat us. 
Okay, so that, that that's a little stronger position. Where do you guys lie in between? Hey, this is not so prudent, but uh, you know we need to stop this, or we're going to have big problems. Yeah, well, for a lot of the lending, I think it you know lending tends to stop itself once the result, once the results are bad, and so I think you need to look at it on a spectrum. Um, and just to give your listeners a sort of a, sen- a, a layout of the land, right? There's investment grade credit. Think um, you know names like Apple. Right, they have bonds. Not particularly worried about those bonds. Then, as you go down, but they pay diddly squat. I mean, they they don't. They don't pay much, but they will pay you. (laughs) They they don't pay much, but they will pay you. And so, if you need to hide out somewhere and earn a return until there's better opportunities, you could do worse. Um, That's what treasuries do. You know, that is a place where you can sit and wait. Um, And there's value to waiting. Um, Yeah, but when you get back in, those interest rates have gone up. And, uh, uh, you know, well, what can you get? You, you've lost money getting back in. And today it could easily be 10, 15, 20 percent, right? Well, on those bonds, you probably, in investment grade right now, you've probably made money because um, treasure rates have gone down. So Yeah, yeah, you have right now. But, but, but you know, you're buying into those. But when you go to sell them, when the rates are higher, like you say, because they were a place to hide out, You've lost. I mean, isn't that part of the uh, equation? Uh, well, this, this is the interesting thing. And so this is, let, let, let's, go walk down, let's go walk down the credit spectrum here. Let's go okay. to, to the riskier companies. Um, you know, companies that are rated triple B is the bottom end of investment grade. That's, uh-huh. that's the part that has people worried. But most of those companies have three times the equity market cap as they do debt. So you'd really want to worry. If you're worried about those companies, you really need to worry about the equity. And then you get into high yield. And the, and the upper part of high yield has companies that have two to three times the equity market cap as their debt. And then you get into single B, which is the middle of high yield, and maybe they have one, maybe less times on their debt. And then you get into the bottom where they've got a little bit of equity value and a whole lot of debt. Right? Okay. It's, that, it's that B and below where you have companies that have enough debt. When you really look at them and you look at what they're paying on their debt, right? So whereas Apple might pay 3% on its debt, these companies are paying 5 to 7% on their debt. But there's a difference between these companies and Apple. Right. Whereas Apple might make... 15% on every dollar it spends, these companies might only make five, which is less than they're, getting, they're paying on their debt. So these companies, in a lot of ways, were already slowly liquidating. And that's the part of the market where you have these smaller companies that just can't be as profitable because they're smaller. Some of them are, but many of them aren't, that have to, to borrow at higher rates. And what happens in a crisis like this is that the, the, the rates that they need to pay, which is called the spread to treasuries, the, the amount they have to pay more than treasuries to, to, to borrow, gets higher and higher and higher. So if you're hiding out in Apple today, you didn't lose very much money. But if you were hanging out in these ones that are barely profitable, you lost a lot of money. Uh, but if you're hanging out in Apple, you now have the opportunity to go buy the companies down there that have traded down on, on the debt, but actually probably will survive. And so that's where that's now there's higher every day. Now there's higher and higher return opportunities and high yield. Okay, well, you're you're giving us a good education here. Yeah. Uh, It's not the kind of thing you read about in the Wall Street Journal, let me tell you. (laughs) So... um so you guys have taken this approach. But are, are, are you a, a voice, a lone voice in the wilderness here, or uh, are there lots of others singing this tune here? So you know, you know, just to give you a sense of our our approach, we we think that we historically the highest um, returns, both absolute and risk adjusted. So we've you know whichever way you measure it have been at the high end of high yield. So they've been in the double B category, which is the best part of high yield. Um, 
I, you know, I think that's accepted, but there's this really hard, it, 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 people, you, you do read it from, institute, uh, from practitioners who say, listen, if you go back and do all the history, the double Bs outperformed. They outperformed um, the single Bs, which is the middle of high yield, and the triple Cs, which is the bottom of high yield. And, um, but when you go to, if you talk to a credit analyst at a shop who's trying to make their career investing, the problem is that the double Bs have much lower yields. I mean, for up until the, uh, last month, they were they were yielding sort of three percent, and now they're yielding four percent, which doesn't sound that attractive. Right. But guess what? They've lost a lot less than everything else. So if you bought double B credit now, you're not feeling nearly the pain that everybody else is, um, and you're in a position of strength. Um, but uh, and and the returns have been higher as as they very often end up being. So. Um, it's hard to actually execute the strategy because of exactly the problem that the, the human nature to go say, oh, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to find the company that has the highest yield and I'm not going to mess it up. I'm going to pick the one that actually is going to pay that. Um, and the truth is that the base rate of failure is high enough that you're not likely to do that. And you're much better off taking those yields that you're much likely to, more likely to earn. Okay. Well, you're complicating my understanding of credit markets here, and I appreciate that. That's why we're talking here. So what do you guys see as uh, in moving forward? Uh, you've got a position that in many cases I'm sure is not all that popular, and you're telling people, hey, don't reach for the higher yield. Uh, you know, we've got to stay at, at the, not at the lower end, but, uh, you know, lower than most people would like. Um, and and we hope that in a couple of years things will turn around. And uh, yeah, you've gotten three percent, but you can pretty well count on that three percent or whatever amount it is, uh, and and you know and live with that while uh, while others have lost more. Is that kind of the tune you're singing here? Uh, are are you telling them we're going to have bigger problems in the future because this fool yield? Many people are falling for this. Kind of in terms of the market and, and as people who should be concerned about the relative strength of the market, et cetera, what are you saying? So, you know, I think, I think we've been uh, the bearer of bad news, and what we've been saying is, listen, there's only so much money you can make rel- reliably. You know, you might, be able to re- you might be really smart and be able to go out and beat the market, but the market is telling you, uh, up until recently, the only available returns were 3 or 4%, but, but we're actually – talking at a really interesting time right now, because yeah. now the expected returns are going up. Are they right? really? Of course, because the bonds are trading, the bonds are trading down. Right? Yeah, so but that's bonds, temporary. Uh, well, it's, it, it, is, it, may, it may be temporary. On, uh, you want the ones that will be temporary, and it will be temporary on the ones that are higher quality, that, that are the double B and, and above. But remember, when you buy a bond, you're buying a contractual asset. So now right. the yield that was 3%, if you now buy that at 4%, your expected return, if you hold it to maturity, is 4%. Yeah. Um, but we're starting to see that creep to 5 It might get to 6 So now you start to see, wow, I could go in and reall- I could put money in and, and, and actually make some higher yields here. Where's the, is, you know, one, you know, you're talking about a very interesting moment because I'm about to go off and do a whole bunch of research on just how steep that curve needs to be between the top quality and the bottom quality before it makes sense to drop down in quality. But we're closer to that point than we were, uh, you know, even, even five days ago. So yeah. um, I think um, I, I'm, I'm certainly not a market timer, 
but uh, the investments are now, for many of these companies, especially the higher quality companies, safer than they were before. Um, and uh, I am looking, you know, I personally, as, as I sit there, and look, I'm, I'm now, I'm not playing defense. I'm starting to think about offense. How do I go out and, and buy those companies that I think have very, are very bankruptcy remote, almost no chance of bankruptcy, and, and where can I find the best deals? Uh, and I'll do that for the next many months. So it, it's, it's a process. But um, but I think um, we're seeing a repricing in the market, and those who didn't get out and reach too far for yield um, are in a good position. Those, I mean, I'll give you an example. But 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 if you were in a BDC or something like that, those BDCs are down in the teens right now. Um, so that wasn't a great place to be. But um, you know, higher quality credit was. You know, uh, j- just very briefly, we could talk about this all day, but. Uh... I'm a fan of Barron's Magazine, and for years I, I read it religiously. And uh, they don't do it as much anymore, but, but for several years they interviewed investment advisors. And these are, you know, people that, that managed billions of dollars, okay, in major urban areas. And they would ask them, you know, what do you think about various markets? And these investment advisors never talked about bonds, Okay, or credit. They talked about, well, the equity market's going to do this. It's time to be in international. It's time to be out of this, et cetera, et cetera. But they didn't talk about uh, credit markets or bonds at all. And nobody needs to tell you that when you go somewhere Saturday night, people are talking about the stock market. They're not talking about the credit market. So how do you push through, okay, to get people who, who are responsible to respond and pay attention to you here, Greg? Well, I think there's, you know, there, we, we run two kinds of strategies. One is you know, small cap levered equity, and that's extremely volatile, right? Yeah. We have people, and that's how you make, you make very good returns over time. But it's volatile. You have to have a stomach of steel. And then we yeah. have people who, do, who say, well, I really like how you guys think about the world, uh, but I really don't want stomach-turning volatility. And, and for, for someone like that, when you look at our credit strategy, it's possible to earn um, over time, when you actually compare investing in credit to investing in the equity markets, it's, it, it's less. It doesn't have to be necessarily, but it, it is less. But it's much closer than people think because the equity markets, it's all about, it's all about hang, hanging on to returns. So if, um, you know, if, somebody, if you have a return stream and it's 5%, 4 5%, 3%, 2%, 5%, 0% in that order, your return is zero because your last return was zero. The same thing in equity. If you have a negative 20 as your last return, it, it really damages your through-the-cycle return, your, yeah. your returns over time. Yeah. If you have an asset class that doesn't deliver the negative, uh, negative 50, yeah. uh, then you actually end up compounding much more reliably over time. And there's people who really look for that. And, and we, we, we tend to find a, a, an audience who doesn't want to buy just buy treasuries, um, doesn't but understands that they don't understand credit, and then, then we explain the concept of pools. And, and you know, I think it's it's compelling to think know that there is a relatively high yielding part of the market that doesn't have to be as risky as what people think about as junk bonds, right? Um, yeah. And okay. so that that is very compelling. Um, I think, um, but you know, I think we we pride ourselves on doing a lot of work to understand where that. Where that point is, and where where where, where it's, how how far down you can go and still be relatively safe, um, and and make a return. Well, Greg, we really appreciate that input. Uh, we need to move along here. Uh, two questions we ask every guest: one, what keeps you awake at night? 
uh, this, <laughs> this market. <laughs> I don't think I need to look too far. <laughs> I mean, uh, you know, I, I, I think there's, there's, there's uh, you know, there's very tactical stuff that I do today today, and I'm very good at the relative value of what's going on. I, I think um, I'm the first to admit that I have no crystal ball on what's happening um, in the world with what what negative rates mean, what interest rates mean. Um, and uh, I, th- I think we're in clearly a point in time where a lot's going to change, and I'm not sure how. Uh, so it's something I keep an eye on. I'm, I'm, I'm not sure. It keeps me awake up at night both because I'm nervous about it, but I'm also just fascinated by it. I think it's a really yeah. fascinating time to be investing. Well, when you figure out what's going on, give me a, give me a call, will you? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We'd both love to know. Okay, and uh, our last question, what book on investing would you recommend for our listeners here, Greg? Well, if you want to get uh, – there, there, there's a book uh, called uh, Expected Returns, which is a real tome. It's more of a textbook uh, by Antti Amon, and, and uh, it is, I think, a, a great reference book for anybody really wanting to understand how different asset classes perform relative to each other. Um, and uh, this concept of fool's yield will not cause fool's yield is, is, is a concept you can find in there. So, and and well, who's the author again? Antti Ilmanen. A-N-T-E? A-N-T, I think it's A-N-T-T-I-I-L-M-A-N-N-E-N. I hope I spelled that correctly. Okay. But it's, it's close it's enough. Italian? I'm not sure. Okay, okay. So for those who would like to know more here, Greg, where can they go? Uh, we have a website, uh, Verdad Advisors. Um, Spell Verdad, right? Uh, V-E-R-D-A-D. Okay. Um, the the website is newly updated. Um, it's actually, sorry, it's verdadcap.com. V-E-R-D-A-D-C-A-P.com. Okay. Um, brand new website uh, has all our research on there. Um, you can get past podcasts. You can get past articles. You've, we've, we're, we, we communicate quite a lot, so there's plenty of plenty of stuff to look on there. Yeah, and that's how uh, we were introduced to you guys and uh, your partner, Dan Rasmussen's podcast. Very interesting, talking about the research that led to the, the, the private equity and the debt and fool's yield, etc. So we could, uh, no question about it, uh, say we watched that and found it to be very, very interesting here. So final words for our listeners here, Greg. Well, I think uh, you're... We're living in interesting times. I guess that's a benefit. And uh, I think um, uh, watching these markets and, and um, I think watching it towards the eye of, with, with a credit eye in mind, I think credit's going to matter a lot in this particular cycle. Um, and looking at businesses and making sure you understand uh, how much debt they have is going to be really important. Um, and then if I give you one metric to look at, if you're not a credit analyst, just look at total enterprise value, equity plus debt over the debt. So you want it to be a multiple. You don't want, you want, you want it to be at least over two times before you think about, uh, before, before you start to really dive in on the equity, because otherwise you're, uh, you're looking at uh, companies that are very high levered and could, could be, have trouble getting financing in this market. Greg, that was very, very helpful. We really appreciate that. And no one else has told us that before. So, uh, okay. Thank you very much. We appreciate it. And thank you for coming on today. Sharing your thoughts has been very interesting and uh, I'm sure has opened a lot of minds here. So thank you very much, Greg. Thank you. And our best wishes uh, for you and Verdad in continuing uh, to be successful. So we've been talking with Greg Obenshane, 
of uh, Verdad Capital. You've been listening to Strategic Investor Radio on OC Talk Radio, where we bring you investment strategies you are not hearing elsewhere. We'd love to hear from you. Info at strategicinvestorradio.com or for any of our 350-plus podcasts, visit our website, strategicinvestorradio.com. I'm Charlie Wright, wishing you an enjoyable week and productive investing. Strategic Investor Radio is a production of OC Talk Radio and is provided for educational purposes only. Content of this program and the views of the guests should not be considered as recommendations by OC Talk Radio or investment advice from the host Charlie Wright or any other entity attached to this production. Investors should always consult qualified financial, investment, tax, or legal professionals prior to investing. 